This is The Sparkcast, a bi-weekly show where we explore the creativity, technology, and business of CG. I'm your host, Marina Antunes. Michelle Grady's career in the CG industry started small. An unpaid job working in the equipment room of a post-production facility. Determined and in need of a paying position, she soon found herself as the receptionist. Michelle has come a long way since that first receptionist job, all the way to executive vice president and general manager of Sony Pictures Imageworks. And her career has grown alongside Vancouver's expanding production business. We recently spoke with Michelle about her humble beginnings, the challenges of leadership, making mistakes, and how taking chances has shaped her career. Here's my conversation with Michelle Grady. Well, let's jump right in. I, I, I thought we'd start by talking a little bit about where you grew up, what you were like as a kid, what you were into. Oh, gosh, we're going that far back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I grew up in Ontario in various suburbs around Toronto. I was the youngest of three kids with a single mom. So what was I like growing up? I was the jokester of the family. I was the one who put on shows, would sing I Am Woman, Hear Me Roar by Helen Reddy whenever they wanted to hear it. I was that kid. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. So what, what brought you uh, west? I came out west to go to university, actually. My mother had just moved out here the year prior, and I had never been. And I started university back east, and I came out here in March. And if you've ever been to Ontario, especially Toronto and suburbs in March, it's very different than here. March in in Ontario is basically dirty snow. And then I came out here for a visit to see my mom and it was green and lush and beautiful. And I thought, what is this place? And so, yeah, I I went around to universities very quickly that first visit and got myself transferred out West. Oh, that's amazing. So were you already studying something kind of artistic? I mean, it sounds like you were a pretty outgoing and artistic kid. Was that something that you were looking to pursue later in your life? Is that what you went to school for? You know, I didn't know what I was going to school for. I was definitely one of those university kids, especially when I started. I really had no idea. I think, you know, I think sometimes when, not sometimes, when we grow up, we have such a limited view into what the possibilities are that I really, I had no idea. And I'm not sure that I really did, to be honest throughout my entire university career I would think of my time at university as a time that I was I say this phrase uh it's kind of like a time to bake where I as a person could fully set and I wasn't on a direct path but just that environment of learning and that environment of being on my own living on my own or with friends just that whole experience allowed me to figure out who I was, allowed me to figure out how to think and think for myself. So I I didn't have that. I wish I did. I wish I could say that, you know, I 
I loved film, which I did, but I've I loved film growing up. I knew that's what I wanted to get into, but that really wasn't my path. I was really just on a path of discovery, really. So, so you graduate SFU with a degree in communications. What, what, what's the thought after you get, you walk out the door with a degree? Are you just looking for any job or did you have kind of at that point a vague idea of what you wanted to try to do? I didn't actually have an idea. So my, my major was in communications and I loved the theory of that. I just love social theory and understanding how social structures work. So, and, and then with that little bit of media creative part to it, I found those two things really appealing. Also, my minor was in women's studies, which, which I don't know what we would call that today, feminist studies, whatever it might be. So I was definitely a politically active um, person of university. So I didn't know exactly how that was going to translate into a career path. So I, I, I didn't know. And I will readily admit that I'm one of those people who fell into the industry that I'm in. So how did you fall into the industry? What, what was your first role uh, working in animation and visual effects? Sure. So it actually started back post-production is really where I started my career. And then it developed into animation and develop, or developed into visual effects and then animation. So I started, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And a friend of mine had a connection at a post-production company um, and that was, it was a very small one and they thought it might suit me for some reason. So through that connection, I, my very um, humble beginnings were working for free for a month um, in the, what was called the equipment room recording mass VHS tapes. (laughs) So it wasn't a very auspicious start, but I worked for a month for free and then said, maybe I should start to get paid now. And then I got promoted to receptionist (laughs) Um, and literally grew from there. But I think, I think what I would say about it and why it stuck um, even from the very beginning was a couple things. One, I was in, uh, I was in a field that I liked, i.e. always been attracted to media and entertainment Two, I was surrounded by smart people, um, but very specifically in that very first job, which again was a very small post-production company, the two most senior creative roles at that company, which at the time were colorist and editor, we did a lot of uh, music videos and, and advertising, were women. And I think that that in my, not consciously, maybe somewhat consciously too, uh, had an impact on how comfortable I felt in the industry in, in my first job and how comfortable I felt at that place. It wasn't, I didn't like so many others walk into this environment where, you know, it was a very much a boys club. Believe me, I've come across that through a ton of my life, but that wasn't my first experience. So I think that was probably pretty impactful. Oh, that's amazing. I think it's fascinating that you mentioned that because, and and with your background in women's studies and all the work that you do with your activism, maybe we'll derail here from your career trajectory for a minute and talk a little bit about the role of women in the industry. I think it's fascinating that, you know, you are a, a leader and a pillar in the industry and there aren't that many women um, at your level and even in the industry at large. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, the advocacy work that you do and, and how you've become involved with that over the years? 
Sure. I think on the advocacy front, I don't do near as much as many others, nor near as much as I would like. But it's whether it's been, um, you know, very uh, purposeful work, i.e. programs, whether it be our mentorship program that we have at ImageWorks right now or any other program, whether it be, you know, uh, starting up with with other colleagues, women in animation in Vancouver and, you know, those very... Um, uh, um, proactive moments or whether it's just been who I am through my career, it's definitely had an impact. I think, um, it's, it's, it's that be it, see it, uh, thing for sure. And I, I very much know just from my own experience, but just through, it's quite obvious that if you can see it, you can be it when you see yourself represented at your workplace, you come to your workplace more whole, uh, we, I know that in my bones to be true. So I think I've just always um, approached my workplace that way. I was, you know, I moved up into management relatively young and managed, um, uh, I managed Technicolor at that time, which had, you know, um, a, a 35 and 16 millimeter photochemical lab. We had a, a, a dailies business and a post-production business and then grew a visual effects business. So there was plenty of time in there where I was managing businesses and people that were um, lots of men, lots of men who knew things that I didn't know and lots uh, who were relatively older than me. And I realized that a few things. Um, one, I could understand what I needed to understand. I didn't need to understand and know everything. I have a role. Everybody, people around me have a different role and all we need to do is compliment each other. And secondly, that I was never going to put up with any, um, any, any crap, <laughs> to be honest, uh, whether that was, whether I felt it was gender-based or age-based or whatever it was, I, I knew I was bringing something to the table and as was everybody else. And there was no need for that to get in the middle. Can you talk a little bit about if you ever felt any extra pressure um, to be successful because you were one often younger, and two, also a woman. I don't know that I felt pressured because of those reasons, to be honest, at all. I think that's, I, I, I'm a person who loves work. <laughs> I feel so incredibly fortunate that I fell into a career that I love, that I work with colleagues that I so respect and have so much fun with. Yeah, I never felt the pressure to succeed. All I felt was the um, internal pressure to work really hard and make sure that I loved what I was doing, but also, and I, I haven't always been successful at this, I will readily admit this, but also try and make workplaces that other people can love as well. Not everybody loves their workplace, but um, um, but no, I've, I've never felt that, hey, I must be successful because I think I've just pursued opportunities I, that I found exciting and I love taking on more responsibility and I love giving responsibility to people who want it. So I think it was more natural than that. Uh, you, you, let's jump back a little bit to talk about the sort of moving through your career. So you're, you're a receptionist. Um, soon after that, you're working at Technicolor and you're managing a group of people and you alluded to the fact that you went into management pretty quickly. I'm curious about um, the move into like those management positions and 
that maybe was not necessarily in the cards. So can you talk a little bit about that shift from working kind of like as a support for the team and then finding yourself leading those teams? Yeah, you know, I think it happens. One of the great things about film and television um, and digital media generally, but the making of this product is that it's so incredibly collaborative and no matter what part of it you're in, you're working as part of a team. And so, if you're uh, there, so your 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 role goes in many directions. You've got tons and tons of people who are working alongside you, where there where there is not a lot of hierarchy, but you have different skills and you bring different things to the table. So, um, I, I think again, I can't really pinpoint that moment when I started to be a leader in my teams. I think it just happened relatively naturally um, by, you know, focusing on what my strengths were, which ended up being, you know, organizing people and um, understanding the technology enough to be a little bit dangerous. Um, Because again, my whole career has been in technology and I'm not a technology person, but it's understanding people's strengths and, you know, putting the right brains on the right problem and bringing people together to make decisions. I think just came pretty naturally. So, I think those opportunities to move up into management just kind of uh, appeared because I was working really hard and um, trying to be um, true to myself and respectful to those around me. What do you think personally for yourself, what is the most difficult part of managing uh, teams, be them large or small? It's a good question. I think the most difficult thing of managing teams really is trying to get everyone pushing in the same direction. And even as I say that, that phrase, that's much used phrase, it's used because it's true, but everyone comes to the table with something different. (laughs) Everyone's got different experiences that they're bringing, whether they be professional or personal. And so trying to understand people's circumstances and what's going to get everybody on board and pushing and pulling and trying to do the best job we can possibly do together because everyone's got pressures. Everyone's got, you know, things going on in their lives that we don't understand. So I think it really is, uh, it's, it's hard to, and this is big and, and small. It's hard to find that balance between, understanding everyone as an individual and what they might be bringing to the table and getting them to work towards something bigger, something that we're all going to be aligned with and find that balance of not saying, you know, leave all your, leave yourself behind and go this way. It's how to find that balance. I'm not explaining this very well, but bring people in, in a way that gets them on side. Um, And having that to do that at scale is really hard, really hard. On a practical, in practical terms, what does that look like at Sony? Well, you know, there's so much. So um, we we spend a lot of time at the leadership table. We don't uh, announce this broadly, but we spend a lot of time at the leadership table, a lot of time thinking about what would make the workplace better what would make people more collaborative? What would inspire people to 
want to do a great, great job because you don't get into this industry. I think it's hard to last in this industry if you don't love it. So there's something about it that you love, whether it's the creative part, whether it's the teamwork, there's something you love. So how to make sure that we draw on that and access that in people and how we do that at scale, because we can sit at the leadership table and say, Hey, maybe this will work. But when you've got, you know, a thousand people working, there's some hierarchy there. So how to get whatever those strategies might be that we come up with at the leadership table cascaded down to the next layer of leadership and the next layer of leadership and get feedback back up that, um, that chain is, is, uh, is what we do. We spend a lot of time doing that. Um, we always have. It's one of the reasons why I joined Sony. It's because it always did. I should say, joined ImageWorks, Sony Pictures ImageWorks. Is that it? It it, it always had a reputation for people staying, and I was really curious about why that was. Um, there's lots of longevity in this company, and and when I joined, it became clear what it was, and it was because people are respectful here for the most part. Um, so what we're trying to do now is build on that longstanding culture and open that up and make sure that we're not leaving anybody behind. And again, that in practical terms, we just spend a lot of time thinking about it and rolling out uh, programs and strategies that try and improve it and then sit back and try and measure whether it's working or not. And and I'm curious, I mean, I assume uh, along the way, I mean, every we all make mistakes. And I expect that, you know, as an organization, sometimes you take steps that appear to be correct, but you then find out, you know, maybe it's a month later or a year later that perhaps this isn't working quite right. Can you talk a little bit about when you start to make the decision and what sort of are the red flags for other people to look out for of things that perhaps aren't working the way they should be and that they maybe need to be, you know, revisited yeah absolutely i mean i'll give you a a really practical example but what i'll say is the re the way that you learn whether it's working or not is to listen and ask questions so um and, and have a success measurement and if you whatever we my team were listening to me right now they would they would know what I'm talking about, but if you're if we're going to launch an initiative, we have to understand the reason for it, the impact that we're trying to have, and a way to to measure whether that's succeeding or not. And if you don't do that second part, you won't turn around fast enough, and you won't correct it fast enough. Um, so that's just in general the way you do it. But I'll give a, an example, which is our mentorship program. So I grew up. Um, and I'm, you know, we talked that I became a leader young, but I am no longer young. Um, and I, I grew up in a world where women's studies was a thing and, and uh, you know, um, fighting for gender parity was and is a thing. And what I did not have as much exposure to is the other, I had some, but I wasn't as focused on the other um, areas in, in life and the other groups of people who were also being marginalized and disadvantaged. So I'm going to translate that into my very real example is a number of years ago, we started the women's mentorship program at at ImageWorks. And uh, the first round was hugely successful. It was so much fun and felt so great. We had such amazing feedback from the people who participated. But, you know, when we, our success measurement was based on feedback and the feedback 
that came back was why only women? Why not other forms of diversity? And it was just one of those moments of like, oh my God, I can't believe I missed that. How did I start a women's mentorship program? <laughs> I should have, we, what we should have done is a diversity mentorship program. And so we quickly pivoted to that. And, and so I, I, that wasn't a mistake. It was too limited and it wasn't inclusive. Um, but that's how you do it. You do it by listening and changing really quick as quick as you can. And I mean, making those, I mean, you, you say it was a mistake, but it's another way that we realize that, you know, we don't have all the answers, right? And working as yes. a group is so important and listening to people that we work with is so important. Um, in something like a mentorship program, and this sort of leads to something else I wanted to talk about, is uh, inspiring other leaders and, and, you know, people coming up in, in the company. Can you talk a little bit about um, the, uh, the, the, the process and the inspiration and tips that you might have for individuals that are, you know, they might be young starting in their career and they want to move up in the industry. What's kind of some of the things that you could, uh, say to them that, that, that might help them along the way? Sure. There's so much, isn't there? Um, I think, um, I think, <laughs> be yourself this is going to sound so pat but um it it really isn't like uh be the real deal be who you are don't pretend to be somebody else that is my number one rule when everyone asks anyone asks me um how to succeed it is be who you are have confidence in who you are find your ways to build that up whatever those might be and and bring your curious mind and and work ethic to the table and you will do great um i think when moving up into leadership it really is to listen and to understand that very few people very few people hardly anyone comes to work not wanting to do a good job everybody almost everyone comes to work wanting to succeed and wanting to be happy so recognizing that when that when you get into positions of authority, that that's the case. And remember that your job is to try and make sure that's the case for people that they can succeed and that they can enjoy what they're doing. And no one uh, comes to work expecting to be treated poorly. That's pretty basic, but it's remarkable how young uh, leaders can forget that. I, I think it just I think it just builds on that surround. You know, one of the things I love about my job and always have is that there's people around me who know how to do things that I don't know how to do. And I think that's amazing. (laughs) I think that that's really brilliant. So that old adage is very true. Surround yourself by people who are smarter than you. What that means is that have skills and insights that you don't have. And, And I can't stress how important that is. Um, you kind of touched on it now and you touched on it before, but this idea that, you know, you, you really have to love what you do, but I expect that even if you love what you do, the pressure is immense. And and I'm curious on a, on a personal level, how do you deal with the pressures? How do you, do you leave work at at work? And and when you come home, you unwind, how do you unwind? What's your, your secret? (laughs) Do you have one? No, I need to get better at it. Um, yeah, it's hard, right? Everybody has that. I am undoubtedly a bit of a workaholic, but not really. I think when you do love what you do, you know, it, it 
it doesn't always feel like a slog. So, and, and the film industry is famous for long hours, but I have evolved over the course of my career and realized that I don't need to work the hours that I used to work and that also understanding that other people work at a different pace and that, you know, to respect that. But for me, I do know how to unwind. I think I've always been lucky enough to, when I take time off, I really take time off. I mean, I always work, but I can relax. I really can. I don't know why that is, but I can take the pressure and relax. I've always been a good sleeper. I go for a hike in the woods. I meditate. Uh, I have a glass of wine every once in a while. All the regular ways that we all figure it. I spend time with people I love. That's probably the the best way I know how to to unwind. Um, one of the other things that I think is really fascinating about your career in particular is that you've managed to stay in Vancouver for basically <laughs> the entirety of your career, where in the industry, it kind of, you know, it's one of these industries where it's very typical for people to move around quite a bit, not just in companies, but in locations. Can you talk a little bit about whether that was, uh, I was assuming that some of that was a personal decision as well. Yeah, it definitely was. You know, I, I'm very fortunate in that I started in Vancouver at in the industry. I started in the industry at a time that Vancouver just started to take off, right? So I started in the industry in 1993. Yikes. Um, and really, if you just think of the film and television industry since then, if you saw it on a chart, it just went exponential. So, you know, being a part of something that's growing and dynamic is really, really fun. <laughs> um and then, yeah, I just love the city. I certainly have had other opportunities to work elsewhere, but I love it here. And I've always been able to go to those places. For example, you know, I, I, I worked for a long time uh, as part of Technicolor uh, with NPC. And so that gave me tons of opportunity to be in London and in India. And I helped open up Montreal. So I felt you know, got that international experience and with ImageWorks, I run both Vancouver and LA and I've been in LA throughout my entire career. So I actually, I think because of my timing, Vancouver has been a bit of a fulcrum. It's definitely a hub, but a bit of a fulcrum that I could hub and spoke from and get that type of experience. Again, I certainly had the opportunities to live and work elsewhere, but I actually never felt like it held me back to stay. I've been lucky enough to have the opportunities I've had while being able to live here. While at times, spending a good portion, sometimes up to half of my time in other locations. And can you talk a little bit about that, that, that divide of, you know, being away from home and away from family for those periods of time? How do you, how do you cope with that? How do you deal with that? Well, I don't have kids and that is a, that is a a massive difference uh, in terms of my career versus so many other people. Um, So that definitely um, allowed me more flexibility for travel and to be elsewhere. Um, my dogs didn't always like it, um, but th- that obviously makes a massive difference in my flexibility. So I absolutely love being in the other locations and, and spending time with my teams in other locations. It makes, it's that old adage, you can travel everywhere and enjoy it. And then you come back and you get to see the team. I get to see the team here and I love it here. So that flexibility um, has definitely helped there's no doubt 
you you've moved um to a few different you've worked in a couple of different roles in a few different companies over the course of your career and i'm wondering if you've ever taken a step that you were really kind of unsure of where you felt that maybe this was a mistake but you were going to jump in both feet first anyways yeah i have although i will say that um i feel again very fortunate in that the opportunities that came to me felt for the most part right at the time um, whether it was, you know, uh, uh, the, the choices I made in post-production to move up in my career or the transition over to visual effects or the transition over to animation, they all came. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm knocking on wood as we're talking. They all came at a time where it was pretty clear in my heart that it was the right move to make. But I do remember I had worked in post-production and uh, for Technicolor for a long time and when I got the opportunity to, and within there I had so many different types of businesses which was really fun um, and then when I when we were when visual effects in BC was poised to grow I, I got the opportunity to just focus on that and really really expand the business quickly and leave behind all my teams and things that I knew so well and, and people that I loved so that was probably the moment where it was, okay, leave all those other things behind and jump and go fully into visual effects and grow the business. Um, that was probably the biggest leap um, where I thought, oh, is this the right thing or should I remain more varied, uh, more diversified? But it turned out to be absolutely the right thing. I, I fully invested in visual effects and was absolutely the right thing to do because I got to be part of the growth of the Canadian sector and especially the BC sector from the beginning and again growing is fun <laughs> it just is so it's a lot more fun than the opposite so. <laughs> uh, but, but I mean would you say that it's important to take those chances to take those leaps even if you don't fully know where you're going and what might come of it oh without a doubt oh my gosh it is it is it is so important and for exactly those reasons that you don't know what actually it's going to turn into and you don't know what it's going to be. Um, that is the exact reason to do it. It's, uh, if for me, it's that little spark of excitement. If that, if that's little, if that, you know, excitement in me is like, Ooh, what's that going to be like? That's cool. Um, then, then that's my signal. Yeah. I, I really, I'm, I'm kind of this person. I've, I've been very steady in my career. I've grown steadily and I stay with companies for a long time, but status quo is not good. Um, and I cannot do very well. I don't do very well with status quo. So whether it's within what you're doing, growing, taking on, especially in taking on an advanced an advancing role in the company that you're in, that you love, those are those moments that I took advantage of, um, and, and what that were just exciting and absolutely allowed me to grow. I really encourage everybody to obviously moving companies, if it's the right move for you at that right time, I too have done that. And I feel really fortunate that I've made those right moves, but you can do that within your career, within the company that you're working for. Just look for those opportunities to grow and take a jump at them. And I think, you know, taking ourselves back to that, um, earlier discussion about around women, but I think generally around uh, what, what, whether you're coming from a non-dominant culture or for whatever your, um, your identity might be, 
it is especially important to, if you come from an underrepresented group or part of a marginalized group, to really just find it. It's so easy to question ourselves and just find that thing that you want to do and just take those leaps. It's always worth it. Is there, looking back at the course of your career, is there like a, a missed opportunity that you kind of look back on and you think, oh, maybe I should have done that or something that you would have done differently? I can look at a few things. I don't regret anything. I really don't believe in that. And I I really don't. Like, I can't live my life that way, regretting. I would say that there was a couple opportunities I thought, ooh, that would have been fun too. I remember a long time ago um, being offered the opportunity to move to New York and open up. Uh, an office for a very large, um, very well-established post-production company. That was one of those moments I look back and go, I wonder what different path I would have taken had I done that as a, you know, I think I was in my mid-30s, something like that, and to move to New York and start a business there would have been definitely a different fork in the road. I don't regret it because I love my career, but that's one of those moments where I thought, oh, I could look back at and say, there. Uh, it would have been much colder. <laughs> That's true. It's true. I would have been colder. Um, I would, there's, I, I get to go to New York regularly. I'm lucky enough. It's one of my favorite. I, it's, I think it'll be the first place I go when I feel safe to travel again. So I think I have the best of both. <laughs> I can go in spring and fall, not winter. <laughs> That's right. Avoid avoid the uh, the not so great weather. Um, yeah, I, I'm curious about what is what do you think is your 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 favorite or your your the the accomplishment accomplishment that you're most proud of? Oh gosh, that is so hard. Um, well, maybe more than one. No, maybe I, I guess I guess what I'm most proud of and I don't even know how to say this because I feels awkward I guess what I'm most proud of is that I feel like I really do bring my authentic self to my job and that I really do um care about the people who work at the company and I try and um, get that across. And I think, so I'm most proud when I get feedback that people feel that I think, um, I feel like I've been able to hold on to my integrity and, and, and be who I am and try and encourage those around me to, to do the same thing. That's probably what I'm most proud of, I guess. And I'm curious, what's the most fun that you've had on making a project? Oh gosh. You know, it's fun when it's hard. I hate to say it, but it's so true. Um, obviously, I have the most fun when I'm working with people, and some projects are like this more than others. When I'm working with people who have, you know, that, oh, my God, let's figure this out. This is so hard. Let's figure this out. It's going to be great. So I've had that a number of times. I think, I don't know if I want to name a movie, but I think, I think, I look at those, the ones that were, there's lots that were hard that didn't turn out well. I got to say, just because it was hard doesn't mean it's going to be good. But when they're hard and successful, that's pretty great. And I would say that probably the first time I really felt that was on Life of Pi when um, uh, 
went. That was a really hard movie for us. We were a pretty small group of people in Vancouver who worked on that movie. And, uh, and we ended up, our supervisor ended up taking home an Oscar for that one. So that was a pretty great moment. And I would say the same thing when, um, in a few years ago when we worked on Spider-Man and the Spiders, that was a hard movie to make. But we, we could see that we were making something really good. And the people working on it were just so inspired and just so good that when it was all so successful, those are pretty great moments. <laughs> One of the thing, themes that I'm starting to recognize speaking with you is that challenge seems to be a theme in your career <laughs> and in your life. You, you, you thrive on challenge. I'm curious what you would say to folks that maybe are more comfortable in um, not challenging themselves, being in the status quo. How would you kind of coax them out to try uh, to challenge themselves? Because that that really does seem to be where the best parts of your career happen. It's true. It's true. Although everybody's different, right? And not everybody um, wants or needs... um, things that stress them out. I seem to like those. But, um, so it's not that everyone needs to follow that same, you know, bite off something slightly bigger than you can chew and it'll be fun. Not everyone feels that. But um, in terms of remaining in the status quo, as long as you're doing what makes you really happy, you know, and, and taking that moment to stop and check whether you are feeling fulfilled or whether there's something else that you could be pushing at that would make you feel more fulfilled. I think that's probably um, a, a, a better way to go than um, than following just all. For me, you're totally right. You picked up on the theme. I like a good challenge. Um, I love watching people around me with a good challenge. I love watching them succeed. But it's not for everybody. So it's really about whatever floats your boat, whatever makes you happiest. Do that. If you could give yourself a piece of advice, knowing what you know now and where you are in your career now, if you could give yourself a piece of advice back when you were in maybe university or even younger, what would you tell yourself? Such a good question. Um, I would tell myself it's going to be okay. I'd start with that. Um, And it probably would be to just take the advice I just gave, which is um, have confidence in yourself, try and understand what makes you happy and do that. I probably, uh, uh, you know, all of us, there's times in my career where I stayed in something for too long that wasn't floating my boat anymore or that wasn't fulfilling me the way I needed to. And I probably should have made some changes sooner. So Um, I think it's just really listening to yourself and figuring out whether a situation is working for you or not. Um, and, and make a change when, when, as Oprah would say, when your life is speaking to you, listen (laughs) and, uh, and, and make a change for yourself for the better. And that was my conversation with Michelle Grady, executive vice president and general manager at Sony Pictures Imageworks. You can find out more about Imageworks and the exciting new projects that they're working on at imageworks.com. The Sparkcast is a production of the Spark Computer Graphics Society. Opening and closing credits, as well as additional production support by Michael Edland. 
For more about SparkCG and our upcoming events, visit sparkcg.org.